Welcome to Positively Leading, the podcast that's all about helping you grow your resilience, leadership, and influence. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Howling, and each week we will be diving into a variety of topics related to leadership, communication, and personal growth. From feedback and accountability to diversity and inclusion, we'll explore the skills and strategies that you need to become a more effective leader. So whether you are looking to improve your communication skills, build strong relationships with your team, or simply become more confident in your role, join me on this journey of growth and discovery, and let's get positively leading. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Positively Leading. I am so happy that you're here with me because today I'm going to be starting a four-part series on feedback. It's a topic that I am frequently asked about and that I coach and train on. And yes, even the word alone can bring people out in a cold sweat. But for the next four episodes, we're going to be exploring this often thorny topic from a number of perspectives. So here's what you can expect over the four episodes. The first in the series today, we're going to be thinking about how can we reimagine feedback? Next week's episode, we're going to be diving into how to give feedback that feels good, that people want to receive, and that actually makes a difference. The third is how to receive feedback, even if you didn't ask for it and you don't agree. And the fourth, how to build a culture of feedback in your team or your school. And I'm super excited about this because feedback is the lifeblood of learning and growth. And yet, more often than not, it feels anything but. So my hope is that over the next four episodes, we can transform not only how you think and feel about feedback, but how you give it, how you receive it, and also how you grow it. But in today's episode, we are going to be understanding the three reasons why feedback is important, exploring five reasons why feedback can be hard to give and receive well, and then we're going to be reimagining feedback, and I'm going to share with you my growth principles so you can create the most effective feedback experience, both for yourself and also for others. Okay, let's dive in. Thinking first of all about why feedback is important, and I don't want to make assumptions, so we're going to start with this key question, why is it important? Well, the first is that feedback helps us to grow. Now, this might seem obvious, but we can often lose sight of it because of how it's shared with us. So whether that's the person giving it or our relationship with them or the intention behind it or the actual feedback itself, you know, it's often we can lose sight of the fact that feedback helps us to grow and without it, it's harder to learn. And without learning, we don't grow and we don't develop. So whether that's a skill, a quality or an attitude, whatever that might be. So always holding in mind that feedback helps us to grow. The second is that feedback shows that we care. Again, with data showing that feedback is often given in a way that doesn't land and it comes from the deficit model, you know, that need to improve, filling a gap in knowledge or a skill or fixing something or someone, we can lose sight of it. But feedback done well comes from a place of recognition, a place of encouragement, a place of love, a place of sharing observations, including redirection sometimes that shows that we want others to become their best selves. So feedback shows we care. And the third is that silence can be costly and dangerous. If we don't speak up, if we don't share something that's important, 
then this can have real and genuine negative consequences for an individual, for a team, for a school or for an organisation. It might be giving feedback or not giving feedback about a decision that's been made. It might be feedback not given to someone whose behaviour is causing problems in a team. When we keep quiet about these things, it can have huge negative consequences. So feedback can help us to avoid risk and when done well, it can be an opportunity to strengthen communication, to strengthen relationships and to strengthen results. So those are three reasons why feedback is important. Now let's think about the five reasons why feedback can be hard to give and to receive well. Now, when I first became a middle leader many, many years ago, I was tasked with observing lessons and feeding back, and I found it excruciatingly painful. I didn't know how to structure the feedback or what to say, and I also was really worried about how it would be received by the teacher. I never received any training for it, but I did get a little bit better by trial and error. However, those feelings of discomfort remained with me for many years until I trained as a coach. And at that point, I developed a different mindset, a different language and a set of frameworks for feedback. And the mindset I, I developed is that feedback is a gift. And by not giving someone feedback, I was not serving them. In fact, I was holding them back. So if this makes sense and we know this, you know, why is feedback actually really hard to give and to receive well? Well, from my experience and research, I found that there are five core reasons. And each of them stand alone as reasons, but they're also interconnected and can feed off each other in, and they intensify the challenge, I guess, of giving feedback. And the first reason is to do with our identity. Now, we all share basic human drivers, including competence. You know, we want to be good at what we do. Significance, making a difference. Belonging, we want to be connected to others. And autonomy, having a sense of control. Now, feedback can support all of these drivers when done well, but when done badly, it can have the opposite effect. So if someone says to you, can I give you some feedback? You know, what do you think? What do you do? What do you feel? And what do you say? <laughs> How we respond to this question is determined by our life experiences and by the experiences that we've had when we've been giving and receiving feedback. And these experiences can really color how we think about feedback and how we show up to conversations to both give and receive it. So building self-awareness around this is a starting point because when we give and receive feedback driven by our own identity, our own feedback identity, then this can bring problems for others. For example, my natural feedback response used to be, oh no, feedback, what have I done wrong? You know, can't I do anything right? Which then meant I would avoid giving feedback as I didn't want to make others feel like I did. But that wasn't helpful for them. And it definitely wasn't helpful for the people in, you know, in the world whose response is, oh, yay, feedback. Yes, please. And there are people whose response to feedback is that. So getting clear on your feedback identity, what does it mean to you and how does this influence how you might give feedback? That's the first one. Now, the second reason why it's hard is that research shows that the word feedback is often associated with evaluation and judgment. And the language that we often use, or the language that we use most all the time, actually, is not very helpful at all. We talk about giving and receiving feedback. And that 
giving idea sets us up for a monologue and a telling rather than a dialogue. And then when we add to this that a high percentage of leaders and managers don't feel equipped to deliver feedback, and I'm doing little air quotes here for deliver feedback, this results in increased fear and unsuccessful experiences, which then perpetuate more negative feelings towards how we feel about feedback. And before we know it, we're in the feedback spiral of doom. So that's the second one. The, the actual language that we use around it means that we associate it with evaluation and judgment. Now, the third reason why feedback is hard is our negativity bias. And I've talked before in previous episodes about our fight, flight or freeze response and how we're wired for negativity to keep ourselves safe. Those negative emotions and perceived threats are, we know, we experience them more intensely. They grab our attention and they do this so much more compared to positive emotions and events. And this is an evolutionary adaptation and it's why we're still padding around on earth. So if we hear negative, and again, air quotes here, negative feedback, it can have a much longer lasting and intense impact on us than positive feedback. And this is called the Velcro-Teflon effect, and this was discovered by Dr. Rick Hansen. So when we have a negative, fear-based or shameful experience or an insecure thought, our mind can wrap around it like Velcro. Whereas when we have a positive experience, for example, when we receive a compliment or someone affirms and congratulates us, it can slide off like, a te like it does on something it might do on a Teflon pan. So our brains are hardwired to remember the negative and quickly forget positive. And as we're wired to see the potential threats, both physical and social, we need to teach and we need to actively pursue positivity to help us overcome that default negative wiring, that default response. So actually what we're doing is we're, we're trying to overcome our biology. So really thinking about that. The fourth reason why it's hard is that as human beings, we naturally want to be liked. We worry that if we give someone feedback, either because they don't like or agree with it, then they won't like us. And this is a, an uncomfortable feeling, but one we need to overcome as leaders. And a tip here is to remember that it's not about you. It's about them and helping them to learn and grow. Now, this showed up as a challenge in my research with principals for my doctorate. And it also shows up in so many of my conversations with senior and middle leaders as well. And I think the international school context can intensify this as well, especially if you need to give corrective or developmental feedback. And this is because the relationships and friendship groups are often stronger or more tightly knit in an international community. And there's a much closer community in terms of proximity than in many national contexts. So it can be really hard to give feedback and that sense actually of being liked and the, you know, worrying about the relationship. Now, the fifth reason is that we're afraid of the reaction. What happens if somebody becomes angry or defensive or breaks down in tears? You worry about how you might respond and those emotions can make us uncomfortable and unsure. And on top of actually giving the feedback, it's also common to worry about the outcome and what might happen next. You know, what will the person say or do going forward? Will there be problems? How might that reflect on you as a leader? So that uncertainty of what might happen and being equipped to deal with it is a real worry. And if you're anything like I was years ago, you might not have had the training or any support with this. 
And equally, if you do or if you have had, perhaps the person you're learning from might not have had training either. So you end up perpetuating less than desirable practice. So those are the five reasons, right? Five reasons why feedback is hard to give and also hard to receive. But if we think now about how can we reimagine feedback, let's see if we can move this into a more positive uh, notion of feedback. And I'm going to share with you now my growth principles so that you can create the most effective feedback experience, both for yourself and also for others. Now, with all of this, it might seem like the odds are stacked against us in giving and receiving feedback. And to a certain extent, they are. Remember, we're thinking about our biology here as well. But if we can think about feedback differently, if we can reimagine it, I think the growth principles that I'm going to share with you now might help to do just that. So if we think first about how we approach feedback, not the words and what we say, but the mindset and the heart set, our intention for the feedback, hopefully it's to share information and guidance to support the growth of the other person. And if we think about it like that, then things can really start to shift because with the right intent, we can share any content. And if we're focused on growth, the principles that I'm about to share with you, then we can really create an effective feedback experience. So growth, as well as being one of the core purposes of feedback, is also a mnemonic. Now, I'm going to share what each letter stands for first, and then we'll dig a little bit more deeply into each one. So the G stands for gain permission. The R stands for recognizing strengths. The O is outcome and solution focused. The W is with examples. The T is timing. And the H is human, humble and helpful. Now, let's dive in a bit more. So the G is gain permission. I genuinely believe that permission is the unsung hero of communication. So when you have to give feedback, asking permission to do so helps people to relax and to be more open, list, open to listening. And this is especially relevant if the feedback involves a need for improvement. Now, if you don't ask permission for permission, sorry, and the other person isn't in the most receptive state, then whatever you say is not likely to be heard, to be processed let alone be acted on. So asking permission is also a way to show respect and to build trust. So G is gain permission. Now the R is about recognizing strengths. And I mentioned earlier that quite often feedback is approached from a deficit model, something to fix something or fill a gap. Now the Corporate Leadership Council found that when a manager has a conversation that focuses primarily on an employee's weakness, Afterwards, that employee's performance declines on average by 36%. But if the manager focuses the review on, primarily on an employee's strengths, then that person's performance improves by an average of 27%. Wow, those are some figures, right? And on one level, this makes sense. We know instinctively, and obviously probably from experience as well, we don't do our best thinking and learning when we are feeling crappy about ourselves, right? It's common sense. So a strengths-based approach can really help you to recognize and grow what's working and recognizing the talents that each of us have, which then enable us to build on those. 
So thinking about how you can inspire and strengthen and help somebody be their best self by that focus on strengths. Now the O is outcome and solution focused. So keeping focused on the solution or the desired behavior instead of what's currently ineffective or seen as a weakness. So this is about making sure the person is clear on what to do differently rather than simply what to not do. I remember a conference speaker saying years ago, I mean, this is like 2007, and it stuck with me as a leader, as a teacher and as a parent for all of these years. And that is you can't teach a don't. You can't teach a don't. So if you must share what's not working, fine, okay, but then spend the majority of your time on what you do want to see. Be explicit. Talk about the benefits for the other person and for others, that positive impact. Make a really clear picture of the positive impact that draws somebody forward to being great and that helps them to be at their best and make a positive impact rather than the negative, rather than what they shouldn't do. So be outcome focused and remember, you can't teach you don't. <laughs> now, the W with examples. Here, the idea is to focus on the behavior and not the person. The most helpful feedback will give specific examples and does not generalize. For example, would you respond better to someone calling you lazy and saying you're always late or giving you feedback about being late three times in a week and asking what you could do to get to work on time? Now, I know which one I prefer. When you're doing this and you're sharing with examples, share the outcome that you want to see. Again, build that shared understanding. So you need to be approachable. That's not helpful feedback. I mean, what on earth does that even mean? Give an example of what it means. It might be when someone comes through the door, think about turning around and giving them a big old smile or saying hello. That's much more helpful than saying you need to be more approachable or whatever it might be, right? So give examples of the desired behavior. T is for timing. And this is about the feedback is most impactful in real time or as soon as possible after the moment occurs. And the frequency also matters here. Don't save feedback up to deliver all at once because it will simply overwhelm somebody. And finally, the H is for human, humble and helpful. The trio, <laughs> human, humble and helpful. So be aware of your own feelings here. Do not give feedback if you are feeling triggered or angry in any way. You simply won't be able to show up in a feedback conversation with humanity and humility. You need to be ready to listen, to ask questions and accept possibly that you might not fully understand the issue. Part of this as well is thinking about your intention for having the conversation. Make sure that your goal is to help the other person to learn, to grow and to succeed. Otherwise, it's not helpful and could even be harmful. So those are the growth principles. Gain permission, recognize strengths, focus on the outcome with examples, think about the timing, and then finally be human, humble, and helpful. So to what extent do you currently give feedback based on those principles? Just check in with yourself, right? There's no blame, no shame, no nothing. Just have a little think. Okay. And then as we come to the end of today's episode, and remembering it's the first in the series of four on feedback, we've covered three reasons why feedback is important. 
five reasons why feedback can be hard to give and to receive well. And then we focused on how we might reimagine feedback. And I shared the growth principles so that you could create the most effective feedback experience, both for yourself and also for others. Now, it's my heartfelt hope that even in this episode, the first one in the series of four, that this resonates and that there's something that you can take from it to begin to shift how you think and feel and approach feedback. And if you're interested in learning more about how to build a culture of feedback and learning and growth beyond what I cover on this podcast, then please send me a message at sarah at sarahowling.com because I have a range of programs coaching and training that can support you in this area. Now, tune in next week for the next in the series, where we're going to be exploring the different kinds of feedback that we need to thrive and getting really practical again with some helpful frameworks for giving feedback that people actually want to hear and that can make a genuine difference to them and also your team and your school. Until next time, keep on positively leading. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Positively Leading. I hope you found it helpful in your journey to becoming a better leader. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback not only helps me grow, but also helps others discover the podcast and join our community of positive leaders. And if you'd like to work with me, you can head over to sarahowling.com to find out how. Thanks once again for listening and remember... The world needs more brilliant leaders just like you, so keep on positively leading.